0: Good evening, and welcome to this special sphere webinar taxation and democracy. I'm Alan Carey, the director of sphere education initiatives and I'm so excited to be here with all of you tonight. Uh, First of all, let me begin by thanking all of you teachers and all of you educators for joining us this evening particularly at the end of what has been a long and I'm sure in many ways challenging school year. Uh, Very excited about our conversation tonight and our guests. We're thrilled to be joined by two fantastic experts on tax policy. We'll be having a conversation to learn a little bit more about how to think about tax policy and the impact it has on democracy, but also join with an expert to talk a little bit about how to think about bringing taxation into the conversation in your classroom how you can use these fantastic resources and tools from TaxEDU to begin to help shape these ideas and conversations for your students. Before we begin tonight, a couple of quick reminders for all of you joining us this evening. Uh, If you are joining us here in person online, uh, please make sure that your Zoom name reflects your actual name, what you registered with, so that we can go ahead and make sure to send you a professional development certificate after the event. Uh, also, like all Sphere events, we want to be as engaging in conversation as possible. So if you have questions along the way, please, by all means, put them in chat. We'll be capturing those and asking those of our panelists as we go throughout the conversation tonight. Uh, so with that, it's my pleasure to introduce our guest this evening. First, we're joined by Nico Luciani. Uh, Nico is the Director of Corporate Power at the Roosevelt Institute, where he leads the Think Tank's program to dissect and dismantle the ways in which extractive corporate behavior jeopardizes workers, consumers, our natural environment, and our shared economic systems. Luciani develops cutting-edge research exploring the mechanisms by and extent to which firms, executives, and shareholders have gained, retained, and wield outsized power in our economy and politics, while also teeing up policies to promote shared prosperity and reclaim power for workers and the public by curbing corporate power. Luciani brings to Roosevelt over 15 years of research and advocacy lifting up alternative economic policies which uphold people's human rights in the US and around the world. At Oxfam, he played a key role in defining the agency's economic inequality research agenda, especially knitting together different strands on corporate tax corporate governance, as well as racial, gender, and economic inequalities. He also led the organization's engagement in and around the pharmaceutical sector before and during COVID-19. Before Oxfam, Luciani directed the Economic Policy Program at the Center for Economic and Social Rights, managing cross-jurisdictional investigative projects on various economic policy areas, especially on the use of economic rights as a framework for public financing alternatives to fiscal consolidation and austerity. A frequent contributor to debates on tax, corporate governance, and economic inequality, Luciani's work has been widely featured in the Financial Times, The Washington Post, NPR, Newsweek, Vice, and LA Times. Luciani's most recent publication exposed how the shareholder-first business model, typifying today's U.S. corporations, left our economy exposed to a thoroughly unequal winner-takes-all pandemic. Luciani was raised in Northern California by his amazing bilingual public school teacher mother. He speaks Spanish and French fluently and holds a master's degree from Columbia University School of International and Public Affairs. Thank you so much Nico for joining us tonight. Also joining Nico and I in conversation is Alex Mercenot, a federal analyst at the Tax Foundation, after previously working at the federal team as an intern in the summer of 2018 as a research assistant in the summer of 2020. He attended Tufts University, graduating with a degree in economics and minors in finance, political science, in February of 2021. He also worked for the Pioneer Institute in 2019, had the summer as a journalism intern at Reason Fund Magazine, and has written op-eds for various print and online publications. Alex originally hails from outside Boston and enjoys Dungeons and Dragons, 80s movies like Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, The Schwarzenegger Filmography, and Die Hard, which I would note is one of the greatest films of all time, and Classic Rock. Alex, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Nico, Alex, thank you guys so much. Really excited about this conversation. Uh, To begin with, what I wanted to do is step back, right? So with tax policy, we're often thinking about conversations like, well, it's tax time, what comes out of your paychecks, what you're paying, or are you gonna get a refund? But instead step back and think about the conversation at a much higher level. And that is thinking about it in terms of what's the role that tax policy plays in a democracy in general? That is, what ought it play? Uh, as opposed to thinking about the sort of dollars and cents and versions of the conversation that we typically have. Uh, Nico, let me turn it over to you. I'd love to get your thoughts as we think more broadly, what ought the role of taxation be in society? Thanks so much,
1: Alan, uh, and to Karen and all the other organizers and and gratitude also to the teachers and educators. Um, School is really a critical venue for instilling, you know, the type of civic values um, and perspectives that that we need, uh, especially uh, today. Um, So uh, Alan kindly mentioned it. Uh, I come from a family of teachers. Uh, My sister is a teacher. My aunt's a teacher. My brother in law is a teacher my mother is a retired uh, teacher my father uh, went into law but he regrets it and said he should have taught <laughs> so uh, i'm very much uh, schooled in the way of uh, the challenges and and uh and rewards of, of being a teacher and so when i'm it wasn't a little bit to later in life that i actually started to think about how my professional world around uh, economic policy and taxation actually connects very closely to the experience of my mother and experience maybe of of other educators like yourselves. Um, And, you know, so as I go through um, this, I really want to reflect also on the the experiences of teachers and would love to have a conversation, some questions about that. Um, So starting with the question that Alan asked, what is tax policy really for when we step back a little bit, um, and especially from a sort of educators and, and students perspective. I think the best way to think about this is uh, something we call the four r's of taxation um, the first one um, is about revenue right it's, it's most basic um, it's about raising funds from people uh, that are able to pay uh, and then um, allowing that to fund critical public services that we all enjoy that fund um, uh, education our road systems our police our firefighters our national security um, all of these things, which we all need and and, and, um, and uh, benefit from, um, and, and and not only that, that our economy grows as a result of. Um, and so, the first side of revenue, you know, more directly in the education space, is of course public funding of uh, of teachers, both you know at state level, municipal level, like property taxes, and some uh, some at the federal level in certain circumstances. Um, and, you know, just reflecting my mom's experience, um, she was in one of those schools that was very underfunded because it was in a, a relatively underserved uh, neighborhood, not a lot of property taxes in that area. She was one of those teachers that had to come cut out of her own paycheck, of her own uh, somewhat humble paycheck uh, to be able to buy some of the materials for the, for the kids that they needed. And my experience there just said that we need some more revenue for teachers, not only for materials and schools, but also for the teachers themselves. Um, So tax policy has a really important aspect of raising revenue, um, which is good for teachers, good for students, but also good for for our economy uh, more generally. Um, The second R has to do with redistribution. Um, That is to say, you know, any of us could fall in hard luck tomorrow um we have a, a, a tax system and a, and a generally a public finance system that will help people that fall on uh, difficult luck uh, and then when you're back on your feet and doing well you know you fit, feed back into that system and that's a way where uh, an economy that might trend toward inequality uh can uh, become more equal over time um the third r um, is with regard to repricing or regulation. I know regulation is a bad word in some circles, but here I'm essentially talking about incentivizing good things and disincentivizing bad things, Um, right? And so if you think about tobacco taxes, which uh, are a form of an excise tax, um, uh, which uh, funds um, something that we don't think is good for public health reasons, Uh, sorry, that that taxes uh, things that are not good for public health reasons, namely uh, smoking cigarettes, and then funnels that back into uh, things we think are good. And in my mother's case, uh, once there was a tobacco tax that was put into place um, directly uh, earmarked for schools, she saw a big bump in in the public funding that was available for her her students uh, in in, in her school district. Um, There are other forms of this, um, of, of excise taxes, which uh, help to shape the type of behavior in our economy we want. And some of those can be very stimulative, can make our economy very vibrant. If you think about innovations and in, in research and development as a form of uh, of this um, or investments in uh, future potential like higher ed uh, uh, subsidies or, or tax breaks. This is a kind of uh, the, the repricing or regulatory role of taxation. And then finally, this really cuts into the question of tax and democracy, which is the fourth R, which is representation, right? Tax paying, in my perspective, um, is a really a, civ- a civic act and a civic duty um, that shapes our relationship to our government. Um, it's really sort of a financial uh, embodiment of us all being in this together. You know uh, that we all feed into a system and we all benefit from the system. That's how it is in theory. Now we can talk about whether that's the case in practice, but uh, from a from a um, values perspective. This is a fundamental role of of taxation. We can go way back to the very beginning of the American Revolution. We can talk about that if we want. Thomas Paine, who wrote Common Sense and Rights of Man, if any history teachers uh, in in the crowd know this, he was uh, really, um, uh, really uh, centered on the question of the power of, very large landowners and monarchs uh, in the the early American colonies and when we had a a new government of our own the key thing was to tax um, the wealth at the very top to make sure we would never have monarchs again in this country so that everyone had equal opportunity and to in that sense he thought that was a really important safeguard of our representative government Um, so I think I'll just uh, I'll just uh, hand the mic back to Alan. I really appreciate the opportunity and look forward to the discussion.
0: Thanks, Nifo. I think that was great. It really gave us a really interesting perspective on how to think about tax policy, but not from the, the sort of percentages and brackets point of view, but from the, what do we wanted to try and accomplish and what are some ways to think about it? Alex, I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. I know uh, you've got some interesting perspectives that I think will differ some from uh, the way that Nico's approached it. Uh, from your point of view, how how should we be thinking about the role of taxation in society?
2: Yeah, so thank you, uh, thank you all for for being here, um, uh, both uh, participants, teachers, as well as uh, Alan and and, and Nico. Uh, good, good, good to have you. Good to be here myself. Um, I guess, I, funny that you bring up. Uh, uh, the, uh, American beginning of the American revolution. I grew up in Concord, Massachusetts. Um, so we in Concord say that, uh, Concord is the site of the shot heard around the world, not Lexington, uh, for Lexington was where a shot was fired, but Concord was when the colonials fired back. And so we say that's where the shot heard around the world was from. But of course, anyways, relevance to the conversation, of course, the taxation without representation being the, uh, uh, early slogan of the of the Patriots of uh of of Boston so um I definitely have some some common ground and some uh sort of divergences with with Nico's perspective um I think the first are I think is sort of the the core uh to me is is revenue taxes are fundamentally okay you have the government needs to do things. the government has a set of things it needs to accomplish uh okay how are you going to fund that. Um, and taxes are the predominant way you're going to raise revenue. Um, and the sort of goal of tax policy is to do that in the sort of least painful way possible. Um, that And that can sort of both cover growth concerns that you want to do what uh, you want to create a tax system that uh, reduced, that that has the, the sort of smallest impact on economic growth and, and, act, and activity. Um, that's sort of one way of saying that there's a, a Jean-Baptiste Colbert was a public was a public finance a finance minister for, I believe, Louis the 14th. Um, I would not say that Louis the 14th is per, perhaps a model of good governance, but this sort of particular quote is quite apt. Um, that uh he said the the taxation is the art of of plucking the maximum number of feathers from the goose with the minimum amount of hissing um and uh so one form of hissing is reduced economic growth um and so you might want to design a tax system that minimizes Uh, impact on economic growth and and prosperity. And then the alternate form of hissing is, of course, uh, distributional concerns that you want to make sure that um, your tax system doesn't disproportionately burden lower income households, people who have a harder time, um, uh, you know, making ends meet, that you don't want to burden them too much either, um, because that inflicts sort of a different form of of harm. Um, So I think, That's sort of the core of of the principles of taxation at a sort of 100,000-foot view. Uh, How how, high do airplanes fly? Something like that. Uh, I don't know. Um, And uh, 30,000 feet, I think. Um, Let's go with that. Uh, And then I think, you know, as far as distribution goes, I think that um, there is part of that that can be done through the tax system, but part of that, I think, is also something that's accomplished as part of the menu of, of government services that you would like to provide I think so um, this is a, a common sort of back and forth of, of how you think about distribution is uh, what are you using the money for as well as how are you taxing so if you have a very flat tax system that's sort of uh, the. US is a fairly progressive uh, tax system especially at the federal level um, where higher income earners for the most part you know pay much higher, Marginal and effective tax rates. Um, If we had a you know flat system where everybody just pays a 20% income tax, but that is paired with a very sort of progressive distribution of benefits that is very focused on low income earners, you know you end up at roughly the same place as you do with say a um, you know progressive uh, structured system and a relatively minimal um, benefits set of benefits. Um, so I think that is, Alex, not to to cut you off, but I think you
0: get precisely into my next question. So let me frame that and let you continue, which is, uh, how are we doing relative to the role of taxation in society? So as you're starting to talk about thinking about, uh, effective tax systems versus, uh, marginal systems and thinking about flat taxes versus progressive or regressive taxes that gets us in the conversation, I think it's a neat one, which is to say, from the point of view of our system, as it's lived right now, how are We do it that is how how does our system match what you might say is the role of taxation in society as a whole? Where's it doing well and where's it doing poorly?
2: Me or start uh, yeah, me?
0: Alex, go ahead. I, I interrupted you, so I'll
2: let you sure. keep going. Okay, sure. Um, geez, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty uh, I'm trying to remember the context, but I somebody recently said, Well, compared to what as a response to some rhetorical question. Um, and I think that is. An important question to ask as as well um, when it comes to evaluating the state of the, the tax system is who are we talking about? Um, so I think you know, actually, to answer a question in, in the chat partially, I think there are some countries that have a very sort of simply structured tax system um, that the U.S. is looks kind of kind of well like a, like a mess next to. Uh, I, I I think um, we at the Tax Foundation tend to be a, a big fan of the Estonian model. Um, which has a very sort of simple uh, uh, flatter tax with very few deductions. Um, the corporate tax is, is based on cash flow, um, which is a sort of detail d- details that we may or may not end up getting into. Um, so, but in other ways, you know, I think it's gotten better, um, uh, especially on the individual income tax side over time, um, where we've moved to- away from sort of very high marginal tax rates um, with sort of very broad deductions as well. And I think we've moved away from having so many deductions, but using sort of lower marginal tax rates. Um, so I think that's been an improvement. Um, but there is, you know, still enormous amount of, of complexity. And I think one way we've moved in sort of the, the, the wrong direction, and this is, you know, partly a matter of taste, but also I think a part, partly a principle thing, um, is that we've moved towards using the tax code as an administration for all kinds of sort of social programs, um, programs that might be, you know, good, but, um, could be better administered through other, um, mechanisms like, uh, well, the child tax credit expansions and, um, uh, the stimulus checks, uh, were all sort of administered through the, the IRS, um. And I think moving towards a system where, you know, those should, those types of programs might make more sense to be these sort of conventional benefit programs like say social security is. Um, so I think that's where we, somewhere we've moved in the wrong direction, but in other ways, um, I think we've, we've improved, especially sort of fewer deductions and lower rates, especially on the individual income tax side.
0: Nico, I'd love to get your thoughts on the same question. I know the the tax changes passed under the last administration have been popular in some quarters, have been considered particularly problematic in others, whether it's thinking about those policy implications or just more generally how the current tax code matches up against some of the four R's that you discussed, uh, how are we doing?
1: Yeah, um, well, a report card on the state of taxation in the United States. Um, uh, I'm afraid I'm a little less sanguine than Alex, perhaps. I think on the revenue side, it might be surprising to folks because, you know, uh, it seems like we pay a lot of taxes. But if you look at the economy as a whole, we pay much, much less in tax. Than most of other advanced countries. If you look at the OECD countries, which is just the you know the advanced countries of the world, we're way down at 32 or 34 of 35 countries. But we're not raising enough revenue, uh, and uh, and not enough of that revenue is going into public education. In my particular view, so I would give on the revenue side, I would give it a C at best, uh, and that's a long-standing thing. Um, the the tax changes of uh, late 2017 made the problem worse but uh it's been a long-standing issue for for several three or four decades on the redistribution side we're not doing much better Um, you know the federal government actually is better at redistributing than states Uh, states are terrible at this Uh, and so overall there may be a progressive system meaning that Um, uh, the poor more, the, the, the rich pay more than the poorest proportion of their income. But if you look at it at, um, at the state level, it's really quite, quite regressive in several States in particular, um, which I, I won't point fingers, but, (laughs) so I think that's probably a B minus, depending on where you live, um, on the question of taxes, reshaping behavior. I mean, taxes reshape behavior all the time, everywhere. Uh, I think there's a lot we can do. Um, in particular on taxing carbon emissions. We have climate change. It's very real. And the best way that all economists say is to actually just put a price tag on that. We're not doing that. We failed doing that. And it's going to cost our children uh, and our grandchildren dearly. Uh, And then on representation, I think our tax system is riddled with holes, riddled with uh, loopholes and ways for uh, the richest among us to get out of uh, paying any effective tax whatsoever. If you look at um, anyone from Elon Musk to, to, to any of the biggest corporations, uh, they're paying very, very little in tax and getting away with it um, because of the way the rules are written, but also the way that the rules are not enforced. So on, on kind of the, the fairness and, and feeling of people's trust in the tax system, it's probably uh, a, a C or C minus, unfortunately. But there are ways to improve all of these things um, which we can go into if you'd like. But um, yeah, at this point, it's it's not great. Could
0: be worse, but could
1: be much better.
0: So one one thing the, the three of us talked a little bit about when we were getting ready for the conversation, and I think each of you have brought it up in, in different ways, is thinking about the way in which taxation is often, uh, particularly of late, a vehicle for shaping policy in other areas. That is to say, so often, tax policy is the driving force, whether that's the the carrot or the stick, in shaping the way that uh, governmental actors are trying to encourage certain kinds of behaviors. Uh, You've mentioned uh, Elon Musk. I think a great example is the way in which the tax code currently is set up to encourage individuals to uh, purchase electric vehicles right, with the tax credits that exist there good or bad. That's one mechanism that's used in the system. Similarly, we see that with uh, the way in which we treat uh, tuition, right? So you pay for college, you take out loans for it, you get credits for doing that. right? We encourage certain kinds of behavior through tax policy, both on the individual level and on the business level. Uh, so I guess that the question that I have for both of you, and, and feel free to jump in whoever would like to tackle this one first, is thinking about what are some of the ways that people may not understand how tax policy shapes policy more generally? That is to say, what are some areas in which uh, government at the federal level uses tax policy as a mechanism to encourage or discourage behavior on the part of individuals or businesses that uh, most people, or particularly teachers or students, just might not be aware of.
1: Yeah, I can jump in and love to hear from Alex also there's so many ways that this happens almost invisibly that people don't really see and I will just give an example again from my uh, from my mother's experience. Uh, in 1978, the state of California, where I grew up and where my mother teaches, passed Proposition 13, which was uh, essentially a, a, a property tax um, uh, di- uh, dimin- diminution or reduction in property taxes, um, which was popular because a lot of homeowners felt that it was getting too expensive. <laughs> is in, in, now, uh, anyone that knows California is increasingly expensive to own a home. But people didn't realize at the time when they passed it that students were going to pay the cost of that, that one of the reasons why we have underfunded schools across the state is because we haven't had uh, the kind of funding uh, that that's adequate through the property tax code. So that that's one example uh, of, of a way that students and teachers have been affected by a, a tax policy that maybe was driven um, was sold in particular ways but maybe not uh, didn't lead to that to those uh, right conclusions um, and there are many more we could be here for three hours to talk about all of the different yeah. ways that tax shapes uh goods and bads in our in our economy
2: yeah no i, I think I, I have a favorite uh article that um, uh, someone wrote a couple years ago about how how tax policy created white cloth seltzers um with the idea that because um beer and wine is taxed differently from spirits seltzers are basically a vodka soda but vodka and a vodka soda is taxed like a spirit instead of like a beer uh white claw is taxed like a beer so effectively the sort of tax price of a vodka soda i.e a white claw is lower than just making a a vodka soda so it's the it's sort of the, the that is a sort of fun weird example um, a sort of more concrete one um, is, I guess, one of the I- issues about sort of using tax policy to shape behavior is determining what the baseline for like, oh, well, this is a normal tax system. And then we sort of layer things on to try and influence behavior beyond that. Um, and uh, I think sort of some things I would say would be an improvement on the way. The system works right now because I think it penalizes certain things. And if I say I want to incentivize something, I really mean I want to reduce the disincentive of it. Um, And uh, one of those things is is physical capital investment. Um, So the way the corporate tax works, for the most part, is um, when you're a company, you deduct the cost. uh, So corporate, corporate, corporate income tax is fundamentally... A tax on profits or revenues minus costs. Uh, this is very simple. But what are costs and when do you incur them? This is more complicated. Um, usually for your daily expenses, your wages, your, uh, your, your supplies, you buy a bunch of post it notes for the office, um, your energy bill. Uh, those are deducted immediately. But when you have a big capital investment, which is to say you build a building or you have new machinery, new computers, um, you know, those those uh welding robots and that you see in, in modern car factories, um, those you usually have to spread out. Um, and that's because uh usually that's for the sort of income statement purposes uh to show basically to uh shareholders that you're not losing money out here that if you buy a ton of 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 new physical plant to to build um you know more more cars or whatnot that uh you're not just just losing money uh hand over fist that you're investing in a new in a new um project um but transferring that to the tax system is kind of uh, a problem because um when you spread those deductions out over time which is what you do to demonstrate to the, the you know shareholders that look this is not we're not just spending money we're not just throwing money away we're, we're investing in new production um so we're going to spread it out over the amount of time we're going to use this you know new factory um but the problem with using that same rule for the tax system is that it creates a tax penalty on this type of investment um, because inflation and the time value of money which is a econ concept that basically says you know you could if you have a 100 dollars now you could do something with it that would make it worth you know 103 dollars in the future um you know you could put it in a in a, in a stock market in the stock market or something and that's your expected return um so money is worth less the same amount of money is worth less to you in the future than it is now um, so spreading those deductions out creates a tax penalty against that investment today. Um, and this has sort of big macro and micro consequences, I think. Um, on the one hand, it disinvi- disincentivizes investment broadly, um, which has negative consequences for growth. Um, wages in the long term are driven by pr- productivity growth. Um and then in also in specific industries. So if you are more reliant on costs that are, are in capital costs, big factories, buildings, et cetera, um, you don't get to deduct the full value of those. But a company that is um, m- more reliant on salaries and less on these sort of physical stuff, um, you can they can deduct a lot more of their costs. So I guess two examples you could use are, think about like an investment bank that has like a ton of very highly salaried, um, uh workers versus say uh uh, a ford or a um a a power plant or something that is mostly this sort of big heavy machinery um take up a larger portion of the cost so if one type of cost can be fully deducted and another can't that creates sort of a bias against manufacturers um creates a bias against sort of new energy efficient technology because again capital costs not fully deductible but yearly energy costs, fully deductible. Um, And uh, so that sort of creates a big sort of broad set of problems across the economy. So I think that's a big way where tax policy sort of unfortunately disincentivizes a certain type of behavior that we would like to encourage.
0: Thank you, Alex, Nico. Uh, So I do want to get to some of the questions that we've started to get in the chat. And for the people joining us here tonight, I do want to encourage you, please uh, add more of those questions in the chat for Nico and Alex. There's Lots that we're not going to be able to cover, but we'll make sure to get to what makes the most sense from you guys. Uh, Melissa Boyd asked a question that I think is a, a, a common confusion. I know it's one that I run into all of the time when I'm trying to think through some of these distinctions and policy conversations, which is, what's the difference between when we talk about a marginal tax rate and effective tax rate, uh, particularly when it comes to things like thinking about the, the taxes that wealthy individuals were high income individuals earn in society in the tax rates that they play. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys wanna take a
2: quick stab at explaining the, the distinction there. Uh, sure, yeah. So when you pay your taxes, so the, the,
1: the,
2: um, there's a different sort of brackets of your income are subject to different tax rates and those tax rates sort of go up as you go. Um, And so I guess as sort of the, let's say that you earn $50,001 and you, and income from between $0 uh, and $50,000 is taxed at a 10% rate and um, income between $50,000 and $100,000 is taxed at a 20% rate. Um, So you pay $5,000. You owe $5,000 of taxes on the first 50,000 of your income. And then on the final dollar, you owe 20 cents. So your marginal tax rate is is 20%. But your effective tax rate is uh, 10 point, some very, very small number that I don't really feel like calculating off the top of my head. Um, So that is the sort of core distinction uh, between an average tax rate and a, a marginal tax rate. Um, and so I think um, I'll hand it over to Nico if he's would uh, like to make any sort of more elaborations there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the basics. But uh, I think what's important in sort of practice uh, for the very wealthy in particular to understand is that there is no well, let me put it this way. The only, the only real tax on wealth is the property tax that middle class people pay primarily, right? At the upper end of the echelon we're talking about you know uh, musk or bezos or or, or um, gates or any of these guys um, they uh don't they choose what income they want to report to the irs because they're making most of their money uh, in wealth and capital gains through their companies um, and as a result uh, they can get away with an effective tax rate of essentially zero um, because in Bezos's instance, and this is something that's been, um, uh, proven because there was a treasure trove of tax returns that was, um, shared and, uh, ProPublica was able to, to look through it and, and find these results. Essentially what, um, what Musk did for a couple of different years was his only income was, uh, borrowing off of his, uh, his stock options in, in Tesla. And because it was, uh, it was a loan, he didn't have to pay any taxes on it. And that was his that was the income he lived on. Uh, And he paid himself, I think, a dollar in income or something. And so as a result, his marginal tax rate uh, was very small, but more importantly, his effective tax rate was uh, next to zero. Um, And in the corporate side, this is very important, because there are several um, large companies uh, on, on any given year that will have a an effective, t- effective tax rate of um, zero to 5%, uh, whereas they're supposed to be paying at the statutory rate of, of 21%. So that distinction is really important. What it says on the books and what people and companies are actually paying are, are two very different things. So, so effective just means what they're effectively paying in, in real, real yeah. life, not what they're supposed to pay, but what they are paying.
2: Yeah. And um, I would say a, a couple of sort of Responses to that. I mean, this goes back to the core question of, well, what is income? Um, And so uh, there are some perspectives on taxation that says unrealized gains are income and should be counted the same way salaries are. But um, if you look at just, um, you know, realized gains, uh, that looks like a different picture. I mean, then you have to consider everyone's unrealized gains. If you have your home appreciates, uh from uh in a a given year is that also income um so that creates some difficulties on cross comparisons I think but also um with companies a lot of times it's as I mentioned before in the discussion of expensing and how capital investment is treated um it's a question of which definitions of of income you're, you're thinking about so if you look at the income statement which allows uh which which forces sort of a capital investment to be spread out Um, you know, that says one thing, but we really don't, using the accounting, I guess that's the the important thing. The, what, what is good accounting is not always good economics. Um, and so the, uh, system, the accountants like to make sure that every, all the revenues are matched up with all the costs in the same year or whatnot, um, to make sure that works, that would create sort of significant disincentives for investment if applied in a sort of tax and econ, um way of thinking, and so a lot of times the companies that aren't paying any taxes in a given year, like I think Amazon in, in 2018 was a big example, it was because they had done an enormous amount of capital investment that year. Um, and so that's not always the case, there are cases where companies ha- are sort of, you know, exploiting things that um, are not reflective of real activity, but that's sort of a, a common sort of uh, below the line uh, discussion, part uh, pardon the tax bond. Um, and sort of uh, the, the sort of small print, I guess, is that a lot of times it's because those companies are doing major capital projects in a, in a given year. And that's something we want to encourage. We want companies to invest in the United States. Um, yeah. So we got a, a question in from
0: Mark Robinson and talks a little bit about social security as a re- redistribution program, uh, where in many ways, as he puts it, we think about it as a mechanism that transfers uh, money from the the young to the old, right, uh, those in, in their retirement years, regardless of sort of wealth or poverty of the individuals involved on either end of the distribution mechanism. Uh, and so Mark goes on to ask, is this really what we want in redistribution? So let me let me pose the question to both of you. I think this is a sort of concrete way to think about tax policy and some of the challenges of, of how the system works. Uh, given the way that you think about the system, the way that you think about the role of uh, taxation and society is something like how social security is set up now, something that is good, or perhaps good, but has needs some help or something that is problematic as a as a mechanism for utilizing tax policy to achieve social ends. Uh Nico, why don't you take a first stab? And then Alex, I'd love to have uh, your thoughts on that one as well. Sure. I
1: mean, as a, as a general sense, I think of this social security is one of the most successful programs in ending uh, older age poverty that we've we've had in the in in the country's history. Uh, before Social Security, it, once you couldn't work anymore and you didn't have any family to take care of you, you are completely destitute, right? And so I think just just important to step back and say this was a very successful program. And I actually don't think of it as a as a redistributive mechanism in the ways that others are because essentially social security in my view you you feed into it the rest of your life for for your whole working life and then you you take from that fund and and it it helps you later in life Um, and so i i can understand mark you say it transfers money from the young to the old because the younger paying at the time that the old are taking the money out but actually the the older people once they come on to social security um, they've put in so much money over the years that's uh the basis of of the of your social security check not what the young are paying now if that makes sense so um, i if it was strictly a redistribution from you know young to old i don't think it would be a very uh, successful program and wouldn't have been as politically or economically palatable as, as it's been over these years um, so, uh, you know, um, I, I think it's actually just a it's a trust fund for for those of us that are in our working age to be able to have a guaranteed return um, and something to fall back on uh, once we retire. And I know for a, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, seniors and fixed incomes, it's a godsend. I mean, if you didn't have that. Uh, uh, and the markets as they are right now relying on an IRA might not be the best option so I actually think we need to expand on social security to include more public options
0: for retirement accounts. Um, that's another conversation but uh, yeah. uh, Alex real quick your your thoughts on the question.
2: Yeah, I think I, I guess I'd say i'm of I'm of two minds on social security, uh, I think, on the one hand. Um, I think I agree with what Nico said at the beginning of when you thought to think about where we were before Social Security, uh, in terms of the sort of poverty among the elderly was um, quite horrific, and I think that it's it's a um, you know been a very successful program on on that metric. Um, it's also quite the administrative costs of Social Security I think are, are pretty low relative to benefits distributed, which is um, at the very least a model for other programs to consider that, uh, you know, what what administratively makes Social Security work work quite well. Um, I think the concern now is that we're in a different place than we were in the in the 1930s. People uh, live longer. um, There are fewer sort of manual jobs uh, so that, you know, careers can be a little bit long, can be sort of more feasibly longer. Um, and then I think broadly, um, you know, instead of the elderly being a sort of most destitute member of society, uh, members of, of society, which is where we were before Social Security. Now, now in, in aggregate, they tend to be wealthier um, uh, than than average. So um, I think that it might be worth considering sort of how I guess when you look at the composition of the U.S. Safety net relative to most other developed countries, it's less focused on younger um, people than uh, most other social safety nets. So I think that um, it might be worth considering sort of if we're if we're taxing this much to do to put to put into social security, you know, we're putting this much into social security. Maybe we should think about you know prioritizing a little bit more towards support for for um, you know kids and and. Uh, um, you know uh you know paid family leave or something something like that those sorts of programs um in terms of the, the sort of distribution of, of how the the u.s welfare system you know distributes money so final question that
0: i have for for you both alex and nico and alex i'll ask you to go first and then nico i'll give you final thoughts on this one uh if there's one thing that you could encourage educators to bring back to their students to know about tax policy that is one thing that you would say you know, given where they are in their lives, they're 15, 16, 17 years old, what is something that if they could know now, you would say this will put them in a better spot as they're going forward? What's your your takeaway advice of for educators, you go back and you talk to your kids, here's something for them to remember and think about. Uh, Alex, you first, and then Nico, I'd love to get your thoughts.
2: I guess I would say this is something I, I'm shocked at myself that I haven't mentioned, is the, the idea of, um, of, of tax incidents, which is to say the person who physically pays the tax is not always the person who actually bears its costs. Um, and this is uh, something that is sort of difficult to, or is, is sort of easy to, to get lost in, um, but basically, you know, the the businesses tend to, you know, actually send sales tax revenue, you know, to the government, but you are the one who bears the economic burden of sales taxes, you the consumer. Um, Corporate income taxes are, you know, paid by corporations, but the sort of burden of, of corporate income taxes is typically split between shareholders and uh, workers because corporate income taxes have a disincentive effect on investment and that lowers productivity in the long run. Now, the exact distribution of how much is put on labor and how much of it is put on shareholders is a very contentious issue. Um, but, uh, you know, carbon taxes, which I tend to, to like, or would generally fall on, um, you know, emitters, legally, they would be the ones in charge of, of sending the money. But the economic impact would end up being sort of more spread out across the country as, as taxes would it would you know, raise energy prices or whatever. Um, and so I guess that the, yeah, the person who pays the ta- or, or tariffs, people often talk about, you know, that they're, oh, we're, t- we're taxing, you know, China or, 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 Uh, Europe with, with these tariffs, but that um, it's not always the companies themselves that are paying that are really paying them It's its US consumers. And so um, I guess the, I guess the big thing is that yeah, the the person who pays the tax to the government is not always the person bearing all its economic costs.
0: Alex, thank you so much. Uh, Nico, final thoughts. Uh, What would you leave our teachers with?
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe a story that might break through with the students also, um, probably a a strange one, but a little bit of folk wisdom, Um, Charles Barkley, you may know NBA player. He was given a story the other day and he said, you know, I I was later in my career, I was making a lot of money and I was complaining a lot about having to pay all these taxes, you know, Um, and he got a call from Bill Russell, the famous Celtics center, who said, look, Chuck, you when you were a kid, you had police in your neighborhood, right? You went to a public school, you had, edu- you had teachers teaching you, right? You had firefighters, okay? And you you went to a public uh, higher education system that was paid for. Those are all paid for taxes. Now that you're making a little bit, bit of money, all at least you can do is give back, right? And that to me is so essential about um, what tax is about. It's, it's Again, it's this physical embodiment of what we owe to one another as citizens in our democracy. Um, it's not just uh, you know getting money here and sending money there. It's really again kind of the financial uh, manifestation of our uh, of our citizenship. Um, and, and, and I hope people can take that away and bring that back to their uh, classes.
0: Nico, Alex, thank you both so much for joining us for the conversation tonight. That's been fantastically enlightening. Really appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, up next, I'm really excited to be able to turn it over to uh, our friend Zoe Callaway from the Tax Foundation, where she runs TaxEDU. My pleasure to introduce her now and then let her spend a little bit of time uh, talking to all of you about uh, how you can start to think about these resources for uh, your use in the classroom in your school. So Zoe so is the manager of education and outreach at Tax Foundation. She was previously executive director of an issue advocacy organization that advocated for lower taxes, mindful state spending, and better accountability and transparency in government in her home state of Delaware. Prior to that, she worked in the Delaware State Legislature as a communications specialist while completing an MA in urban affairs and public policy at the University of Delaware, Where she also earned a BA in American history with a minor in political science. Zoe's hobbies include painting, reading, piano, writing, and exploring new places. Uh, Zoe, with that, it's my pleasure to turn it over to you. Uh, Please take it away.
3: Thank you and thank you for having me. I first of all want to thank all the educators for taking the time tonight to join us. I know that you have a long day in the classroom and it's really great to see so many of you here, Um, not to just further your own learning, but also to get additional resources for your students. I think both are admirable uh, things to pursue. So I'm happy that you got to have first two experts talk to you about a very complicated um, topic and one that's honestly not touched on enough. And then to stay on for me as well, to be able to provide you with some resources for your classroom. And then also I'm hoping some that if you were left with questions from tonight's discussion, We hopefully have some materials for you as well to dive deeper with some of the questions that you may have um, remaining from that. So, with that, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen at this point and get right into the professional development. I won't uh, keep you longer than necessary. Um, So, give me just a second and I will go ahead and share this. All right. So, as Alan mentioned, I represent TaxEDU, which is the educational platform of Tax Foundation. We started this um, about a year ago. It started a little bit before that as a smaller um, landing page on the website, Tax Basics. And then we decided to expand it because honestly, as I'm sure many of you know, since you're here this evening, uh, tax literacy and financial literacy uh, broadly, is pretty low across the board, and something that we're looking to work on and to boost to the best of our ability. So that's kind of why we started. But let me go through why. This is important for your students, I want you to feel like you're taking something away that's worthwhile. So I'm sure many of you have heard that financial literacy is growing. There are states passing measures now that are mandating financial literacy be part of curriculums. So it's good that there are some organizations filling in these gaps ahead of that happening. But also it's something that should just be discussed as prepping your students for becoming good, active and knowledgeable citizens. As they grow up, they start working, they start saving, and they go out into the real world. So when we're talking about financial literacy, something that I personally noticed um, back when I was studying to be a high school teacher myself, and then also as I've started working in this position, is that taxes are simply not talked about enough. And however, they're a massive part of your daily life, whether you realize it or not. And that really starts when you're about in high school, when you get your first paycheck and you think, where did all my money go? It would be really helpful for students to kind of have, you know, that base level knowledge, those building blocks for them to be able to better understand taxes at the base level and then to be able to grow on that knowledge as they learn about tax policy, as they continue to, um, you know, progress into adulthood. And as educators, you know that those building blocks are, crucially important for students to be able to understand and to continue to learn about anything. Tax policy is no different, especially since it can be a little bit complicated. So that's where Tax CDU comes in. That's why I'm speaking to you tonight. Um, We combine the best aspects of various educational platforms. So we have a couple different things that we offer, which I'll get into in just a minute. Um, but our audience is pretty broad just because that's the nature of what the populace understands about tax policy. It's pretty low across the board, so our audience is pretty broad. Uh, We have high school students and educators, starting young, moving into college students and professors, lawmakers and legislative staff because we believe in promoting better and more sound tax policy, and then as well for the average taxpayer. So I hope that some of these resources can be useful for you as well. Um, after this presentation for your own further learning. So first I would really like to get into what our best offering is for high school teachers. Again, I studied to be a high school teacher. I didn't pursue it. I give you guys a lot of props for continuing with it and I understand how much work it takes. And so that's why we built comprehensive lessons and continue to build comprehensive lessons. So you don't have to take that extra step to Piece all these things together from all over the internet you can come to this landing page on our website and we have everything that you need built to common core standards to plug right into your classroom so when you go to build a lesson i would really like to point out our most robust offering that we have currently which is the three basic tax types that's also the perfect place to start with high school students introducing them to taxes how they impact their daily life and how they kind of work in the different aspects that you could address it in. So this lesson would include a primer, which is available for download for free, a lesson plan for you to utilize as well, free to download, an assessment and an assessment key, as well as a video that you can show in class, which is a brief explainer video, which I'll be showing you in just a second. So you need a taste for what that would look like for your students. So this is something that we're looking to build we have seven primers we will eventually have lesson plans for all seven primers so check back if this is something that you like and. there's more information that you're interested in Um, we're always updating material and that's always available for free uh, for educators to use, and it will always remain free for educators to use. So this here is the explainer video. I'm just gonna go ahead and play it real quick for you guys to understand um, kind of what our explainer videos have to offer. This is one of a few that we have and we release four every year.
4: One of the first lessons you learn about money as a kid is that the price on the tag may not be the same as the price on the receipt. Why? Taxes. Taxes have a much bigger impact on our lives beyond just paying a little more for the things we buy. And the better you understand them the better equipped you are to make decisions about them all taxes can be divided into three basic types taxes on what you buy taxes on what you earn and taxes on what you own every dollar you pay in taxes starts as a dollar earned as income the main difference is the point of collection sales taxes are paid by the consumer when buying most goods and services these taxes provide state and local revenue funding services like education transportation, and healthcare. The individual income tax is a tax paid on many sources of income you might earn, like the taxes taken directly from your paycheck. Income taxes are major sources of revenue for the federal government and many state governments. The third type of taxes are taxes on what you own, like homes, land, or vehicles, known as property taxes property taxes generate revenue at a local level. They provide funding for everything from parks to public safety services to additional funding for schools. Every dollar you pay in taxes affects how much of your income you get to keep, save, and spend. So understanding each tax type can help you make better decisions about everything from which job to take, to where to live, to how you vote. To learn more about the three basic tax types, go to taxfoundation.org.
3: All right, so just a second on my end, sorry about that. Uh, So that's just an example of what we have to offer with our videos. Again, we do release them periodically, and they are built with the understanding that this is primarily going to be an educational resource. So we do really try to tap into that building block mentality where a student is not going to be able to really process this information if we're not connecting it to them in a personal and interesting way. So we're hoping to achieve that with these types of materials. If you already have a financial literacy lesson that you're looking to supplement with tax information, we also have materials for that as well. So one of the best materials that we have, whether it be for your students or for yourself, would be our glossary. We have an extensive glossary of tax terms. Some of them were dropped in the chat earlier. If uh, you were you know, checking it out, you saw a marginal tax rate, you saw a wealth tax. We have things like that, and we have more coming out all the time as well. We do try to keep that as up-to-date as possible, not only with current tax policy, but with other economic terms that might be of interest. So we'll be adding things like budget and deficit and surplus as well, in addition to tax brackets, progressive tax, corporate income tax. So here on the screen, you see an example of what the glossary looks like. This is just a bit. They do tend to be shorter. So they're perfect to share with students and hopefully have them engage with the entire content. Um, Also, we have the primers. There was an example of one a few slides ago, just the front page. They usually go from about three to seven pages. They're perfect for independent reading in the classroom or to send home as a take-home material for students to learn more, or as a homework assignment to prep for an upcoming lesson. We also include videos, which I just went through with you about the explainer videos. Again, we do release those periodically and we release for a year. We have case studies. I will say that these are more so crafted for a college classroom. That's coming from um, not my high school history teaching background, but from the policy background, but I think it would still be perfect to utilize in the classroom as a supplemental material. That just takes a topic based on taxation, like how can we structure a good corporate income tax at the state level? What does that look like? And it takes out really any bias that we could include in the material, gives your students the basic information that they need, to spawn a discussion in the classroom. So Again, that could be a perfect use just depending on which grade level you're teaching and utilizing this for. Finally, we have the deduction podcast. This is really for further learning for any of your students. If they're interested in a take home material, if you think it would be a more engaging way for them to learn about cryptocurrency taxes or carbon taxes or other really relevant tax related topics, again, building those building blocks where they might be able to meet the content, the deduction podcast is perfect for that. We have a minimum of two episodes that come out per month. Sometimes they do come out weekly. Uh, Hopefully that'll be a more frequent production schedule in the future. But right now we just produce them as fast as we can um, to keep up with relevant tax topics. This is kind of what the website landing page would look like when you go. It's a little confusing based on what I just spoke about, so I wanted to give you kind of like a little tour of what it would look like. If you're looking for most of the materials that would be useful for the classroom that's located under tax policy 101. So there's your primers videos lesson plans and case studies. If you want to access the glossary that is located at the top of the page on any portion of the tax platform that you are operating on but it's also located under tax basics where you can also find the principles of sound tax policy with examples if you want classroom examples for this is how we could craft sound tax policy versus maybe what's not such good policy that's located there as well Legislative courses might be a little bit out of your purview, but I encourage you to check them out if you're interested. They're also free to use and download. And then finally, the podcast is located under its own tab as well. And I know I kind of ran through it all really fast. Again, I didn't want to, you know, hold you up too much longer after such a good tax discussion um, and panel earlier, but... We're chock full of resources. We're always releasing more, and we're always happy to hear from educators about how they could be better crafted or what additional content would be useful for your classroom. So you can stay up to date with the resources or contact me directly um, for resource ideas on Twitter at taxedu with an underscore, or you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Anytime we release new content, especially when we release a new video, that comes through the newsletter. So if you really wanna make sure that you get those items in your inbox, keep up to date with this um, for your students, that might be the best way to engage with the content. And I'll go ahead and stop sharing my screen at this point because that's pretty much the platform at this point in time.
0: So Zoe, a a couple of questions that have have come in in the chat just to to send them your way, because I don't know if you were able to see them while you had your your screen up. Uh, One question that came in is around whether or not there's any content around uh, tax shelters and tax havens. Is that something that is covered in the Tax ADU resources or more broadly with Tax Foundation?
3: Currently, it's not covered in the tax EDU resources. However, I would recommend if that's something you're interested in focusing on, going to the broader tax foundation website, searching tax haven or tax shelter, looking through the articles that come up. And along the side and at the bottom, there will be related tax EDU links um, located on the webpage as well as in the text as well. So you can dive deeper into things that are close to it. but the higher level material is available on tax foundation.
0: Excellent. Similarly, there was a lot of conversation about continuing from earlier in the session around social security. Are there resources in particular to help uh, teachers talk a little bit with their students about social security or other programs like Medicare and Medicaid and the way in which tax policy uh, shapes those programs?
3: Um, Again, I think that would be more on the higher level just because tax edu is tax basics at this point and we're still building up from our own building blocks I would say as that comes out as a material it would be sent out Um, but I would look on the tax foundation's broader website and then again through the glossary if that's something that you want to start really base level with I would check out tax edu's glossary and just present your students with that term that is presented in you know the most basic language that we can for them to digest
0: so thank you so much. The, the last question that came up in the chat, and I think I know what the answer is already. Uh, will we be able to share the, uh, the slide deck in the presentation that you had with the educators after the conversation?
3: Of course. Um, any materials that were used in this session or that are located on TaxEdu's website are always open for educators to use. That's the whole reason that we exist.
0: Excellent. Uh, well, Zoe, thank you so much for the conversation. Any final words that you want to share with the group about uh, TaxEdu? Uh, and also, I should put in a plug. Uh, we're very excited that Zoe's going to be joining us at Sphere Summit this summer. So for those of you who are going to be uh, joining us in person in Washington, D.C. and well, much too soon for my planning purposes, but very excited to see all of you. Zoe's going to be there sharing some more of the resources from uh, Tax ADU and Tax Foundations. We're very excited about that. Zoe, any any final words or additional resources that you want to uh, put out there for the teachers?
3: Um, Just again, thank you so much for taking time out of your personal schedule to participate in this. It's really nice to see so many of you join. And if you do um, come to the summit, which I hope to see some of you, we will have our hard copy material, our tax booklet. I call it like a pocket constitution for taxes. If you really want to, you know, give your students a hard copy material that they can take with them and dive in. There's QR codes in it. It's very user friendly, and I'd love to share that with some of you and hope to meet you in person.
0: So thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was fantastic. Really appreciated the opportunity to hear from you, your colleague Alex, from Nico as well, uh, and the chance to learn more about how educators can start to bring these resources to their students. Uh, Really wonderfully done. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd love to say uh, to all of you educators, thank you again so much, like Zoe mentioned, for joining us tonight. It's been a fantastic conversation. We've appreciated all of your questions and comments in the chat. For those of you who are done with the school year already, Congratulations, take a deep breath, enjoy it. For those of you who are almost at the finish line, good luck, I hope you make it over the hurdle for the rest of the way there and enjoy the rest of your semester and hopefully a well-earned break. Uh, Let me conclude by saying, Uh, We will be sending out the recording of this video once we've had a chance to clean it up and get it ready on our website, as well as certificates of attendance for those of you who have been here, and we'll be sure to pass along all of the links, resources, uh, and materials to all of you very soon. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate it. Have a wonderful evening.